0: Ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry.
1: Hi, I'm Thierry. And I'm Adrian. This episode is slightly different from our usual episodes. I spoke to Rachel Kant and Pierre Reuter. Rachel is a partner at Hogan Lovells, specializing in the financial services industry. And Pierre, a specialist in the investment fund industry. He is the managing partner at the Hogan Lovells Luxembourg office. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about your conversation? Yes. We wanted to speak about a few different topics, such as Brexit, fintech, and the regulatory aspects in general. The interesting part of this conversation was to have specialist opinions from both sides of the channel, one from the UK and the other one from Luxembourg. The UK, or London more specifically, is close to our heart as we spend a fair bit of our lifetime in the United Kingdom. Brexit has obviously been a topic that's come with legal challenges between the EU and UK, but here also Luxembourg. What kind of takeaways can you share at this stage? We were very keen to have a friendly debate between the two highly regarded lawyers in the context of a changing regulatory landscape, at a time when the UK is actively regaining its freedom outside of the EU and sharpening its edge in the innovation space. But what about Luxembourg here? Pierre vividly discussed Luxembourg's advantages, especially in relation to the competition for global talent, where London is still leading the way. Whilst also discussing the outlook for greater partnership between the UK and the Grand Duchy, and how both can learn from each other in a post-Brexit world, that is definitely a conversation to be had at this time. I'm sure. But now, please enjoy my conversation with Rachel Kent and Pierre Reuter from the Hogan Lovells law firm. Rachel, Pierre, thank you very much for joining the Lux Unplugged podcast.
0: Thank you. Certainly very, very happy to be here. We in the UK very, uh, even more pleased than normal to be talking to our international colleagues. So thank you for inviting me.
2: Thank, thanks indeed also from my side. And uh, happy, happy to be here and happy to be debating with you, Rachel.
0: Hey,
1: here at the Lux and Blood podcast, uh, always are eager to know our guests. And that is also what our listeners want to know. So for people who don't know you, Um, how would you introduce yourself? Uh, Rachel, uh, I give you uh, the floor to introduce yourself.
0: I am a financial services lawyer. I'm at Hogan Lovells with Pierre. Uh, In fact, I have been at Hogan Lovells for just over 28 years, so a a very long time indeed, not quite man and boy, but uh, almost. Um, As I say, I'm a financial services regulatory lawyer, so I guess I do what you would expect. So if you want to set up a bank or other financial institution, if you need some advice on governance, if you have a problem with a regulator, you have a new product launch, uh, then by all means, um, give me a call. But I suppose a little bit that's uh, a bit different is that for the past four or so years, I guess, since just before the Brexit referendum, been very involved in the policy side, so development of uh, new thinking, either in relations between the UK and the EU, uh, or indeed uh, what should happen in relation to our collective laws.
2: My name is Pierre Reuter. I'm also at Novels, but for a far shorter period. Actually, I'm here for almost eight years because in 2013 we opened the Luxembourg office of Hogan Lovels. I am a, what we would call a fund formation lawyer. So I am active, and it's not really surprising for Luxembourg in the setting up, restructuring, uh, etc. of uh, investment funds. But, and that's why I have interactions with Rachel, I'm also doing a little bit of financial services, so regulatory laws, obviously from, from a Luxembourg perspective, but in the past, and I hope that will still be true for the future, we have had the pleasure to work together with, with Rachel a lot, and it was a pleasurable experience every time. The other thing that characterises me, and it tends to become an, a little bit of an exception, I'm I'm also a Luxembourgish, so not only based in Luxembourg, but also born and raised here. I studied a, a little bit abroad in France, but otherwise I spent my life here, and my family is from here and here as well.
1: Well, so uh, for us as well, it's the first time to have two guests on the show and then both guests from the same company, but two different locations. So my obvious questions to uh, both Rachel and Pierre is why law practice?
0: I guess the overarching answer is overwhelming opportunities and uh, opportunities to be involved in exciting issues every day. So obviously our clients tend to be uh, larger financial institutions. So by definition, uh, if a problem gets to us, uh, it it tends to be of the cutting edge variety. So you really are involved in in the most sort of complex or difficult or innovative uh, things happening. So that's my uh, advisory, the advisory part of my job. But I'm also very involved in negotiation particularly of commercial transactions for financial institutions um some sometimes alongside pierre where there's a joint london and luxembourg aspect and i really love that as well that's in you know, a very different skill all about collaboration and bringing uh, opposing parties or two sides together um to get to get the deal done so i really uh, really enjoy that but I guess, uh, as will be obvious to you now, um, Hogan Lovells is very international. It has. So the team that Pierre and I are both in uh, has offices, in fact, over the world, but certainly uh, across the EU. And so it is it is immensely satisfying to be able to work with people who do what you do, but in a different jurisdiction. And so, as Pierre has indicated, we've done many projects together. So for example, the last project, the most recent project that we have worked on was a project about implementation of ESG guidelines by a client that had business across, across the EU. And that involved Pierre and me alongside our colleagues from a number of other European jurisdictions. So those are a few of the things um, that make me love my job.
2: So my explanation why I Truth's law is far more down to earth. Actually, I didn't have a a calling as from a very young age that I wanted to become a lawyer or litigate or something like this. It's just that I I tried different things in very different areas. And then the only thing that I didn't try at some point in time was law. (laughs) So I tried that one and I actually liked it, got to love it. And so that's what I'm doing since a little bit more than, than 20 years. What what I most like about it, and it's a little bit what you have said, Rachel, is that um, you, you work with people all over the world from different countries, different cultures, different backgrounds. That's very inspiring because at the end of the day, you share one common goal, which is the, the interest of, of the client, or, or as you said it, Rachel, to get the deal done. I find that very interesting. Uh, and generally speaking, the, 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 the human part of the job is very interesting, working on a day-to-day basis with, uh, with colleagues, um, training colleagues, uh, seeing them grown in the, in the job. That's, that's what, what I like a lot. There's one, if I can say something negative, one aspect that I really don't like about my job, and I hope that not too many people will listen to this and and, <laughs> and use it against me, is that at some point in time, we have to bill our services to the clients and you have to pay for it. That's often a pain. It's administrative. It's not very exciting. It has to be done. But if I could get rid of one part of my job, it's definitely that that part.
1: I almost thought you would say what you don't like is that you can't meet colleagues um, from around the world or or in in Europe that you collaborate uh, with. But I'm pretty sure when clients do get uh, the billing uh, on their desk, that's when they also don't like what you just described. So um, that must be a, a common thread then going forward. Good. Uh, and I think, you know, when we talk about topics that uh, both of you are working on or, or projects that you're working on, uh, one of them is Brexit. And you your company recently opened an additional office in Dublin due to Brexit. This increases, obviously, your pr- uh, presence on the European market. A question again for, for both of you. Do you see further increase in business and services outside of the UK uh, going forward, in the future
2: the way i see it is that we want we as an firm we want to be in all the places where our clients do business and actually for us it doesn't matter whether we do the job in london dublin luxembourg the netherlands or somewhere else as long as we are able to offer our kinds of solutions that actually work for them from a regulatory point of view from a substance point of view the client is based in in ireland while uh, well the first, the first thought that you will then have is well why not set up your enterprise in 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 dublin uh, so all of these considerations uh, are important and um i think that in that sense uh, D- dublin was sort of missing to to our offering
0: yeah and i, I very much ag- agree with that as i was um, endeavoring to explain earlier on we've we've long had an international team and that's because that's what our clients want are they looking for sort of efficient, harmonised advice across the piece? And as Pierre has said, Dublin, Dublin was a gap in, in our structure there, so we filled that gap. But I think, you know, I, I wonder, just as I reflect on the likely impact of Brexit on our teams and the centre of gravity and so on, there's no doubt that despite having an international team, the centre of gravity in terms of the number of people, I guess, in London... You know, I think it would be great if client demand, I'm sure we'll all continue to still be involved and still be relevant, but if the result is we have more team members uh, in other European jurisdictions, then I think that would be would be great. I was talking to a client yesterday, a part of a large American group who said that they wanted their new post-Brexit structure to not become a three-headed monster. And what they meant by that is they had business in continental Europe they had business in Ireland and they had business in the UK and they needed a team of people that could make sure that their overarching arrangements continued to be efficient so I think for that reason I I see our team model continuing and I also think that with the absolute plethora of post-Brexit initiatives and I mean those in a good way I think there's some really positive regulatory developments um coming uh that for a regulatory team of lawyers, the pie is getting bigger, so to speak, as as well as perhaps having a bit of a change of the centre of gravity.
1: And in terms of the services you provide to the clients, does it really matter where your staff, let's say, is actually based, as long as you have the experience and the knowledge to provide the services to your client, regardless if they are sitting in in the UK, in Ireland, or for argument's sake, in, in Spain or Luxembourg?
2: I would generally agree with that statement, except for one thing is if the language that is uh, being used, spoken by the client is important, then obviously it, it, it makes a difference. And obviously speaking Prodomo, in Luxembourg, we can in the office speak at least four languages, counting Luxembourgish as well. But, for example, for our German colleagues, it's often very important that, although, if the, document, although the documentation might be in English, that telephone calls, uh, emails, etc., are in, in, in German. But otherwise, I, I would agree with with your statement.
0: Yeah, I, I would just add to that. I, I very much agree. I mean, like most British people, I, I don't have another language, or, or rather I do, but it probably isn't very uh, useful in the sense that I'm Welsh, so I, I have a smattering of Welsh, but I've not been called on to use that yet. But I think it's the global and local argument, isn't it? And I think the point the client I was just talking about was trying to make is uh, they want to make sure that they comply with local nuance. But they also want to make sure, as I said, that that business model is efficient. And so I think for clients with international operations, both, as I said, both will continue to be necessary. But uh, other than that, no, I don't think it, it matters precisely where team members are. We, we pick the best people for the job in the circumstances.
1: A lot of EU countries have been competing for businesses leaving the UK in the last couple of years, including Luxembourg. Pierre, a question for you uh, directly. What are the key legal considerations for companies to choose or not to choose the Grand Ashi compared to the UK?
2: So, Terry, are you sure you want me to give you legal arguments to come to Luxembourg or maybe more more, more general arguments? I'm just kidding. I don't think the purpose of this is that that I give you an extensive overview of the legal structures. The only thing that I can say to that is that we have a toolbox in Luxembourg where probably everyone, every sponsor, everyone who wants to do business in Luxembourg finds the right tool. The legal forms of the companies are are flexible. We are operating obviously in an in an environment of EU directives, so a a very narrow framework, but nevertheless with some sort of flexibility. Uh, And wherever there is flexibility, we in Luxembourg try to use that flexibility and construe this EU framework in a flexible manner. I think generally what, what, what speaks in favor of Luxembourg is that it is a very business friendly environment. Probably whenever you walk around in, in the, in the city, you, you meet like minded people that are in Luxembourg to do the same kind of business that you are doing. So you can exchange with them. You can benefit from their experiences, positive and negative. I would say one other argument for Luxembourg, and that was certainly true in the past, was that we had a very, pragmatic and business friendly regulator these days trend and in particular in my area which is investment funds is to use unregulated vehicles so to sort of bypass the 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 regulator for various reasons but um and speaking uh, about ireland what we did a couple of minutes ago uh, i think that a, a very good trend and maybe we need to copy that in luxembourg is the newly established irish investment limited partnership which is if i understand it correctly an, uh, a regulated vehicle so a vehicle that is approved by the irish central bank but where the uh, regulatory approval can be achieved under certain conditions within with, within 24 hours w- which is, which is re- really really amazing and so um i think in luxembourg we need to think about a, a similar vehicle the other thing I have to talk about it as well, is uh, the the tax environment in in Luxembourg, meaning that Luxembourg is a hub for to to structure the transactions through. uh, And we have more than uh, close to 200 double tax treaties, which obviously facilitate this. And I I may add, but it's obvious probably for for everyone, is that all these structures and structurings are, are done within the narrow framework of international treaties and obviously the EU directives. And then something more on the the more human level, uh, I I find, and Luxembourg has changed a lot in the last uh, years, that it is uh, a a multicultural environment. Uh, I mentioned languages already, but uh, generally uh, uh, you will find a a lot of people here from different origins, probably very, very much alike in in London. But it is a little bit more surprising because in comparison to London, uh, Luxembourg is obviously a, a, a village. So in, in summary, uh, I would say that I, I actually cannot see a single reason why you should not come to Luxembourg to do business.
0: And I, I would just add to that that, Pierre, I guess the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And uh, you are certainly one of my international team members that I work with most closely. So I think that's evidence that certainly from my client base, many of them also have operations in Luxembourg, which in some cases been there a long time, in other cases are more recently chosen or recently expanded. But I don't see I, all those people seem happy. It seems a very user friendly, business friendly place. So I, I don't see that changing.
2: Although, to, to, to be honest, a lot of countries are jealous of our success. <laughs> so whenever they, they can say something mean about Luxembourg, they, they, they do so. But the, the business community, I think they are all in favor of Luxembourg. And the, the clear advantage that we have in Luxembourg is that we are a small country. That's not a doubt. But uh, we have a, a, a stable government, a socially stable country, and a government who very well understood very early on uh, the importance of the financial sector. And this, this government uh, is not only happy with the way things are, they are also constantly looking for new opportunities. And one of the opportunities, and it's very surprising uh, is, for example, the space sector that we are trying to to, try to develop in Luxembourg. We had already already a satellite company that, that was the very beginning of that. But now we are talking about uh, exploring Mars, uh, space mining, and these kind of initiatives. So we, it's on on the on the on the same hand, it, it's a country where which is stable, which offers a stable environment to do business in, but also a very innovative country.
1: We recently had uh, Steve Collar, who is the CEO of SES, the satellite company, on the podcast and also spoke already twice with Mark Serres from the Space Agency. And yeah, they have a lot of uh, exciting uh, things happening within their businesses um, on on a global scale. And on that, Rachel, uh, with businesses moving to the continent, do you believe it's harder to retain clients in the UK? And what can the UK continue to do to to keep them here?
0: The simple answer to that is no. As you will have seen, some business has transferred and no doubt more business will follow because of a need to sort of have critical mass in all locations, for example. But to be honest, I think so far it's been less than we were expecting. And certainly what we're not seeing is an outright move in the sense of closing the London office and a move to continental Europe. So the the London office business looking outwards to the international piece uh, still very much remains a part of our clients' business planning as far as we can tell. And if we look at work opportunities, you know, not, w- w- we are still following certain European issues. So no doubt as MIFID II uh, comes under review as, as the implementation of CRR, Those are all things that no doubt will impact us as regulatory lawyers in London as well. But on top of that, of course, we have the review that's called uh, the Future Regulatory Framework. So as you may know, when we left the EU, we onshored the entirety of the AQI, making only such changes as were essential. So we put all of that law on our statute books and much of that law... Is law that would be more appropriate to be regulation promulgated by regulators who are more expert and more agile uh, in making law. So we have that kind of overarching need to reassess all our law and work out where it should go, how it should be moved, and what it should say going forwards. Uh, that is a huge task. So I'm not um, I'm not expecting our London-based regulatory team to be quiet anytime soon. And on top of that, of course, it's very, very important to the UK in the post-Brexit environment that it continues to innovate uh, and be a successful place uh, and a good positive place for to attract international businesses. So there are a number of reviews around payments, around regulation of crypto, and many other things out there at the moment that are designed to facilitate that. So I'm not expecting to be twiddling my thumbs, no.
2: If I may just add something to that from my Luxembourg-centric view, and I don't want to make a political statement, but I'm sad that the UK left Europe because you definitely brought something to the table, made things move in a given direction, but at some point in time the ways parted, but... That's history now, but I think that we in Europe and also in particular Luxembourg, we can still learn from you. In particular, uh, now that you are you have more freedom to to design your regulatory fra- framework to be more innovative, so we should pay attention and look closely what is going on on the other side of the channel and maybe some of the initiatives that you're doing, we can even copy them on the European level or, if if, if possible, uh, in, in, in Luxembourg.
0: Yeah, actually, Pierre, I'm, I'm glad you said that. And I think, obviously, it's been a... If you look at international relations or UK-EU relations, you know, it's no secret that we've had a bit of a rocky time with that financial services businesses are certainly no different i was rather envious with your description of your government being so positive and supportive of the financial services industry it's not something that we in the uk have have felt very much of recently although i I think that's changing i think you know whereas at eu uk top level um relations have been strained and hopefully we'll we'll get back on track soon my understanding is that it's been a bit different at sort of FS to FS level. And as you know, it looks like the memorandum of understanding between the EU and the UK has been agreed, if not actually signed or implemented yet. And I think that can only help to, uh, you know, the the regular discussion there can only help to rebuild that relationship and rebuild that sense of trust. So at that level, um, I'm hopeful that it will get better. But... We we are talkers in the UK. I mentioned policy a moment ago, and we we have been discussing the future relationship with the EU27 and all our friends as well as the EU. And I'm just absolutely delighted to say that there's a lot of enthusiasm along the lines you've just mentioned, Pierre. I mean, I, I hope I'm not giving away anyone's secrets when I say that Luxembourg is sort of at the top of the list of our friends who we would want to um, see what else can be done between the two parties whether that's just setting up dialogues or even moving into the sphere of kind of some kind of bilateral agreement who knows and that may be further down the line but I think the relationship is alive and kicking and I I look very much forward to collaborating with you on a continuing basis across all the, the issues that our, our mutual clients are interested in.
1: And uh, Rachel, you mentioned just earlier as well that Luxembourg will, um, sorry, the UK, specifically London, will be still a attracting place to work and to live. But Pierre, do you believe that Luxembourg finds it a little bit harder uh, to attract the right talent, uh, especially when we look at the cost of rent and the the living costs in, in Luxembourg that are extremely high? Do you still attract the
2: right people to the companies? First of all, and it's stating the obvious, there's a, a large demand for qualified workforce in, in Luxembourg, which for me means that, not that we are not attractive, but there are simply uh, too many opportunities simply in Luxembourg. The um, the attractiveness of Luxembourg, in particular in comparison to a city like London, is always a difficult topic because, again, stating the obvious, the nightlife of London cannot be compared to the nightlife of Luxembourg. Although progress has been made, the cultural offering has been up, but it is not the same, at least in in, in the mind of a lot of a lot of people. Having said this, uh, in the uh, last year, last couple of months, who, who thought about nightlife? Who thought about going out? It was more about um, where do you live? Do you have green spaces around you? Can you do remote working? Uh, These kinds of considerations. So so this has been softened as a, as a criteria or as a negative criteria actually for Luxembourg. But yeah, there are plenty of positive things for someone to come to work to to Luxembourg. And I think the positive elements, they grow with the age or the seniority of the people. Obviously, if you come from university, London seems to be a more sexier city than, than Luxembourg. But uh, once you have kids, you will definitely appreciate what Luxembourg has to offer, uh, schools, uh, if you live in Luxembourg, no commute, uh, practically no traffic jams, and so on and so forth. you also uh, uh, in the heart of Europe, actually. And so when, you, when we can travel again, you can go to Paris uh, in two hours. You can, if you want to be in London in one hour, you have Brussels, you have Germany, uh, and so on and so forth. So there are endless possibilities. Another element, which is important as well, is security. Uh, Luxembourg is probably one of the most secure company, uh, countries in, in, in the world. So I think Luxembourg has a lot to offer. Luxembourg has still a lot of marketing to, to do in, um, in, in other countries. Uh, and we have to look far beyond our neighboring countries to recruit people. Uh, but once people have lived here or worked here, and there are a lot of people uh, that are in that, in that situation. It's hard for them to, to go back to where they came from, actually, because they, they, they love Luxembourg, they love the way uh, the Luxembourgers are open, they love the way they can actually, in most cases, speak their own language. Uh, and so it, it's a, a welcoming country with an uh, open uh, culture, w- which is appealing to, to to a lot of people. And actually, a lot of British citizens that uh, who came here a couple of years ago or even longer, they cannot imagine returning back back home because they they, they simply love it here.
1: On the topic of uh, fintech, uh, Britain is to offer fast track visas to fintechs, and Rachel has been involved in the recent review. Can you tell our listeners why the review was conducted and what the potential issues or benefits are going forward?
0: I think it was conducted because despite what I said earlier, there is a recognition about the importance of fintech and the use of technology in finance more generally. So going beyond firms, are specifically fintechs themselves there is an acknowledgement of the importance of that not least of all to our economy and to future jobs there was also feeling that our leading position in fintech off the back of initiatives such as the regulatory sandbox which many many jurisdictions have now also adopted that we we, we might be we might need to reinvigorate our efforts to innovate and continue the pressure there shall we say So the Khalifa review was established to interrogate the fintech community um, and indeed the the incumbents, as I said, that use financial technology to really work out what those businesses needed in order to thrive. And in particular, acknowledgement that huge effort had been put into the startup uh, community and we had been extremely successful at that but perhaps less focus being given to the growth phase. So we had lots of people coming to the UK from all over the world to establish their business, but we weren't always successful at retaining them through that growth phase and in particular to get them to list in London. Ron Khalifa's report looked at it looked at skills and talent, which is where your point about visas came up. It looked at investment opportunities. How can we get more venture capital type investment into financial technology. It looked at the regional connectivity. So how do we spread the benefit of fintech across the UK in the interest of jobs and so on? It looked at the international piece. Who are our friends? Where are our friends? What more is what more do we need the government to do to enable us to really capitalize on our relationships with those And finally, the chapter that I co chaired with Kay Swinburne, who's the former uh, MEP, focusing on financial services. So we co chaired the regulation and policy chapter. And that has a series of, I guess, three prongs. One, focusing on developing a comprehensive fintech strategy and a delivery mechanism. So a cross government, a cross regulator group of people, all focused on delivering. The policy that it would adopt. The second thing is issues around that growth phase that I mentioned. So more supervisory help, more proportionality of rules, more things designed to assist those people and keep them in the UK. And then we had a good hard look at all the initiatives, uh, all the regulation that we are subject to, to look at where we might be able to make those more efficient. Those are the areas we concentrated on. It's had really good, a really, really good reception. We've been really, really pleased. um, And that reception in the industry continues to get better. I have a worry, a hesitation. It's that we haven't yet heard what the government response will be. We're hoping to get that hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, Interestingly, Pierre was just saying, Luxembourg might want to have a look at things. And we have spoken to a number of, Uh, Our international colleagues, and it seems that the Khalifa review is certainly being very closely reviewed and in some cases adopted internationally. So, we very much have our fingers crossed that our own government uh, is going to do something similar.
2: If I may add something quickly to to that, um, one of my biggest regrets for Luxembourg is that we don't have a regulatory sandbox. So, that's something we should think hard about. And then, um, just looking at it, at the level of our firm, the most innovative lawyers uh, are, in my view, based in London, be it discussing uh, blockchain, uh, artificial intelligence, etc. All these smart lawyers, well, a lot of them are, are based in London. So it must have something to do either with the city or with the mindset of, of, of the people on the other side of the channel.
1: And if the UK leads on it and assuming you need to innovate going forward at all times? Because like Pierre just mentioned uh, earlier, other countries are looking what the UK is doing and they could just basically copy paste it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that there is an element of it being a race. Um, And yeah, we're an ambitious country and we have a long history of innovation in financial services, so of course. But I think we're also deeply about collaboration Um, I hope that doesn't sound like an odd thing to say in the circumstances we find ourselves in, but it's absolutely true. We have a deep, deep history of collaboration. And that's how we see it. So if we take the regulation of crypto assets, or if we take uh, ESG, the race is not about going our own way, doing our own thing in isolation, and, and just not continuing to be part of the international community so you will know that both parties to the trade and cooperation agreement repeated their commitment to international standards so i think the way we see this is that it's a race to have the innovative ideas and then what we want to happen is to work with our friends and colleagues in other jurisdictions to to sort of spread the word if you like because it will all work better if it's done in a harmonized and collaborative way so we we need our friends we continue to need our friends to do that and to make that happen
2: and i would absolutely agree with that what what good is innovation if you only have it in 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 the uk you need to as you rightly said spread the word and get as many people and countries on 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 board with the innovative ideas and where we in luxembourg good at is that we will look at you watch you closely, learn from you, and then make it better, and then uh, spread the word.
1: Obviously, as you both work for the same company, but from two different locations, going forward, there are different sets of rules. Is there anything uh, that you as a company can do to better work together? And how can Luxembourg and the UK work better together, not just from a law practice perspective, but from a regulatory aspect as well?
2: From my point of view, um, at the level of the firm, because we are a two partnership and as i said at the beginning actually what comes first every time that we speak to a client are the needs of the clients and so it doesn't matter whether it is you rachel or me pierre who opens up the job and, and sends out the bill what is important is that the client gets the best solution uh, its needs so it, it it doesn't really matter, and we have that mindset in the firm. It doesn't really matter where where we we do the job, London, Dublin in the future, or or, Luxembourg, or, or somewhere completely else where we have an office, or even in places where we don't have an office, where we have best friends with whom we work. The the interests of the clients uh, come come first, and and that's exactly exactly what you are doing. Uh, uh, as I was preparing this podcast, I am working uh, on a pitch with my UK colleagues and. The, the the job can go either to london to the uk or to or to luxembourg we work together we put our best foot forward and then um the important uh, issue is that over level Oganovitz Novels wins the, the, the pitch, other, other than that, it doesn't really matter.
0: And it, it, as you've kindly taken the firm issue, Pierre, I, I will take the jurisdictional issue. And I, I would just say it's probably obvious from what Pierre has said that our business is truly global. So we have offices in the US, we have offices throughout Asia and particularly in China. And I picked those two jurisdictions intentionally. You know, we talk about competition we talk about a race and we talk about the need to innovate and be first. There's a lot of competition out there and I I don't think we need to uh, increase competition between ourselves. So I think for me, I hate to sound like a romantic comedy, but it, it's about continuing, you know, talking is good. We have to continue to talk. And I think, um, as I touched on earlier, um, as we sit here, we need to build some new bridges that haven't been so necessary recently because of the EU. But we're very aware that we need to build those bridges. We need to have dialogues. uh, and We need to have bilateral relationships with with our friends. And we are very, very focused on that. Uh, And that, for me, is part of the solution because, as as Pierre said, these things done in isolation uh, are nowhere near as powerful as they would be if you do them collaboratively.
2: And if I may add, uh, in a similar fashion that you, Rachel, you have worked with the UK government on shaping their policies, our friends and colleagues in the UK, uh, in the US, they do that a lot as well. And um, in, in doing so, what we obviously have at the back of our minds is that, um, yes, there's a competition, but yes, the, the world will be better off from the business point of view, if there's if there's collaboration. So whenever we we help our governments to shape new policies, to put new policies in place, it's with that collaborative spirit in mind that China, US, Africa, wherever you are in the world, people should, countries should work together, exchange innovations, uh, and uh, that will make it easier for, for everyone. And at the end of the day, everyone will benefit from that.
1: So, Rachel and Pierre, thank you very much for joining the the podcast. And hopefully after the COVID-19 pandemic and business coming back to normal to so many businesses, not just in Luxembourg, but also in the UK, uh, we can follow this conversation up in, let's say, about a year's time and see how both of the countries and both locations uh, for your firm have uh, continued their collaboration and uh, gained momentum and more success. Thanks for listening to the Lux Unplugged podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website,
0: luxunplugged.com and see you next time.